For a long time we have kept a weary eye on the woods. We pull myths from the forests and have been weaving stories of gods, monsters, and eerie worlds hidden within the trees for many thousands of years. These myths have become part of us, passed down generation to generation, even before we ever thought to put ink to paper or chisel to clay. You can feel how ancient some of these forests are as you walk through them. It's almost as if they evoke a sense of primal peace. That is, until it gets dark. A little over 30 miles north of Manhattan lies such a forest. One that's myths have outlived those who first told them by so many centuries that new myths have been born, have lived and died since the first were told. Since the first human eyes to squint through its trees peered watchfully into the darkness. Just outside a small town on the edge of the Hudson River, once called North Terrytown, now called Sleepy Hollow, there is an old carriage trail that cuts through the woods. It's called Witch's Spring Trail. If you walk along this old, beaten path, you will eventually come to a large boulder. This is Spook Rock. If you didn't know what you were looking at, you'd think nothing of it. You'd maybe consider it odd, this one lone rock jutting from the earth in the middle of the woods, but you'd probably just pass it by, think it a nice visual marker on your hike, perhaps nothing more than a spot to stop and eat some lunch. But the legends surrounding this rock, these woods, go back so far and cross so many centuries that we've forgotten most of them. Spook Rock, Witch's Spring Trail, Gory Brook, names for places kept out of sight. Today you can hike to Spook Rock and back easily before it gets dark enough for you to question whether or not you should still be out there. 250 years ago, if you hiked that same old trail, you would have stumbled upon a hut, one that was generally avoided. It would have smelled like sweet herbs drying in the sun, or perhaps a strange brew bubbling on the hearth. This hut near Spook Rock was home to an old woman. Her origins were murky, her accent and habits strange. She was different, so whispers of witchcraft circulated through the suspicious, tight-knit community where everyone seemed to know everything about everyone else. The townsfolk avoided her, for the most part, kept their distance. But even so, this woman would play a decisive role in the history of a town that feared her in life and would revere her in death. Her name was Halda. She is known, for better or worse, as the Witch of Sleepy Hollow, and it's time to tell her story. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. You've probably heard of Sleepy Hollow because of Washington Irving's short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I, of course, have to give a bit of history on this because one, it's almost Halloween, and two, it does tie into the history of Halda, and especially the history of the greater Terrytown area where Sleepy Hollow sits. With a publication date of 1820, 
Well over 200 Halloweens ago, this iconic fictional tale told the story of Ichabod Crane, a lanky schoolmaster who relocated to Sleepy Hollow in 1790, just a few years after the American Revolution. In the story, Ichabod becomes enamored with beautiful Katrina Van Tassel, the only heir to a hefty fortune. However, Brom Bones, a brawny and determined local, is also seeking the young woman's attentions, and the two become rivals. One night, while attending a party at the Van Tassel estate, when the dancing and the music were finished, both Ichabod Crane and Brom Bones listened to stories. At first, they were about the war, then later, about the ghosts and apparitions said to haunt the valley. A woman in white who haunted the glen at Raven Rock, where she had perished in the snow. Cries and wails heard at Major Andre's tree, the very tree where Major John Andre, accomplice to Benedict Arnold, was hanged for espionage in 1789. It's described as so old and so large its branches had become the width of trees themselves. The story goes on to say, quote, the dominant spirit, however, that haunts this enchanted region, and seems to be commander-in-chief of all the powers of the air, is the apparition of a figure on horseback, without a head." Unquote. That night, as Ichabod rode atop his old horse, Gunpowder, the tale of the headless horseman began to pick away at his courage. Ichabod was a logical, thoughtful man, but the woods... The darkness, every rustle of leaf and bending of branch became a compelling adversary to his logical mind. This was to be expected, as Ichabod integrated into the community of Sleepy Hollow. Irving wrote of the town's people, saying, quote, However wide awake they may have been before they entered that sleepy region, they are sure, in a little time, to inhale the witching influence of the air and begin to grow imaginative, to dream dreams and see apparitions." Unquote. That night, Ichabod was chased by the horseman who threw his jack-o'-lantern head at the schoolteacher. Ichabod was never seen again, and Brom Bones married Katrina Van Tassel. Irving ends his famous ghost story by giving the reader two possibilities. One, Brom Bones, dressed as the headless horseman, scared his rival so completely that the schoolmaster left and never returned, striking out instead to pursue a career in law, then politics. Or two, the schoolmaster was spirited away by the headless horseman. This is a completely fictional legend, though some of the places and even some of the names Irving used in his story are clearly inspired by real places and real people. Irving had moved to the Terrytown region, which includes Sleepy Hollow, in 1798 to escape an outbreak of yellow fever plaguing New York City. He was inspired by the local legends there and the bucolic countryside. He used real locations like the Old Dutch Church and Major Andre's Tree. He used real names like Van Tassel and Ichabod Crane. The real Ichabod Crane was a colonel with a 45-year military career a far cry from the schoolteacher described in his legend. While he took some liberties with his real-world inspirations, there is history hidden in his story. Even the Headless Horseman may have come from a real casualty of war. During the American Revolution, the British hired somewhere around 30,000 Germans to fight for them, 
mostly from Germany's Hesse Castle region. Known as Hessians, these soldiers had a fierce reputation on the battlefield. On October 8, 1776, less than 10 miles from Terrytown and Sleepy Hollow, Hessian soldiers helped the British break the American line in the Battle of White Plains. This resulted in a victory for General William Howe over George Washington's Continental Army. After this battle, American Major General William Heath wrote that an American cannon had taken the head clean off of one of the Hessian artillerymen. It's been speculated that this particular headless Hessian is the true inspiration for Irving's headless horsemen. So we know Irving used local names and places for inspiration in the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Just a few paragraphs in, where he's describing the magical ambiance of the Glen, he wrote, quote, A drowsy, dreamy influence seems to hang over the land and to pervade the very atmosphere. Some say that the place was bewitched by a high German doctor during the early days of the settlement, unquote. It's been speculated that this short, one-time reference to this high German doctor was inspired by another local legend, the legend of Halda. There are more than a few people who seem certain of this. It is possible, since we know Irving used real people and places in his now legendary story. I wish, if he had indeed been referring to Halda, that he could have given us just a little bit more about her legend. The legend of Sleepy Hollow is fiction, but even a small reference here could have been important because the sources on Hulda are a bit problematic. The best source I found seems to be the source most of the other sources I found have used. That is a book published in 1897 by Edgar Mayhew Bacon called The Chronicles of Terrytown and Sleepy Hollow. It's a mix of history and lore surrounding the Hudson Valley. It was written 120 years after Halda lived, so it's hard to know whether his account of her life included not just her history, but some myth that may have leaked its way into her life story by the time it was retold by Bacon. Bacon himself was a historian and writer, and he was a member of the Dutch Church of Terrytown, where Halda was ultimately buried, as well as a member of the American Historians Association and the National Geographic Society. He probably did his due diligence when it came to research and writing down the history and legends of the area. But even so, anything that comes out 120 years after someone dies probably won't have the whole story. Between Bacon's account, the 2011 book called The Legends and Lore of Sleepy Hollow by local historian and storyteller Jonathan Cruck, and a few other sources I'll list in the show notes, I've been able to put together what we know about her life. I've probably been going on too long about the sources, and if I were you, I'd probably just want me to get to Hulda's story already. But I think it's important that we always know where the information we're getting is coming from. When Hulda was living in her hut near Spook Rock in the late 1770s, the Hudson Valley was engulfed in war. The countryside was an increasingly dangerous and troubled place, and the citizens of the valley were so affected by the horrific things they would see and experience and do that generations would pass before those wounds would truly heal. In the midst of war, distrust, and fear, a woman, a witch they called her, would become a surprising ally and would shake many of the ingrained prejudices that had become such a part of the colonial mindset. Changing minds isn't easy, 
Sometimes the key to doing so begins with kindness. Kindness and patience. Those were the only bewitching ingredients Hulda, the witch of Sleepy Hollow, would ever really use. When Hulda arrived to Terrytown and the two square miles that now make up the village of Sleepy Hollow, she was not met with welcome. Many of the townsfolk, mostly farmers, were descended from the first Dutch colonists who settled on the farmland leased by Frederick Phillips, who had purchased it around 1693 after the English seized the colony of New Netherlands, which then became New York. The children of these families married one another throughout the subsequent generations, and the community was a tight one, wary of outsiders. They founded the old Dutch church, the one of headless horseman fame, in 1685. It still stands and is one of the oldest extant buildings in the state of New York. According to Sleepy Hollow historian Henry Steiner, even in colonial times, Terrytown was already a diverse place. There were a lot of Dutch-American settlers, as well as French Huguenot, African-Americans, Swiss, German, and people of Native American descent who had already been living in the area for thousands of years. The people of Terrytown would have been familiar with the accents and languages of its various peoples, but they couldn't quite decipher Halda's accent, which to them sounded strange, exotic, suspicious. They started calling her Halda of Bohemia. Bohemia was a kingdom in Central Europe, in what is now the Czech Republic. In Halda's time, it was ruled by the Habsburg monarchy. Although it is definitely possible Halda truly was from Bohemia originally, her designation by the townsfolk as a person of Bohemian descent may have come from the prejudices associated with the Bohemian Romani people. The Romani of Bohemia were stereotyped as being strange and untrustworthy, stereotypes that would have been carried over with European colonists. It's possible Hulda may have been labeled as Bohemian because she was different, and calling her Bohemian was a way to designate her as an outsider. So they called her Hulda of Bohemia. Then they started calling her Witch. This is not entirely surprising. Any woman living alone, especially over a certain age, would have rumors whispered about her, labels thrown at her, no matter her actual background. Hulda was old by the time she came to Terrytown, probably in her 70s, and she lived alone, two ingredients for being red-flagged as a witch in these times. On top of that, Hulda knew how to heal. She had knowledge of which herbs and plants could help with which ailment. In the days when you couldn't just go to Walgreens for aspirin or a pharmacy for a prescription, such knowledge was valuable. But for Halda, her knowledge of healing herbs didn't help the suspicions already being cast her way. Halda would have known she wasn't welcomed by the people of Terrytown. She began living near what is now Spook Rock, a place that already had lore associated with it. It was believed to be a significant spot in the mythology of native tribes, who may have incorporated it into their legends, as well as possibly used it as an important meeting place. Halda made her home in the woods, in a small hut, or maybe you could call it a cottage if you were being generous. 
By the time Bacon wrote of it in 1897, it was already less than a ruin. Just a few stones in the side of an alder-covered bank with the barely visible trace of a footpath leading to a walled spring, indicating Halda had navigated her way down to the water so often that even 120 years later her footpath could still be distinguished. Passerby would smell the sweet aroma of herbs drying inside the hut, or the bubbling of some unfamiliar remedy. Halda knew where to go find ingredients like vervain, mandrake, and calamus. Where Halda acquired this intimate knowledge of local plants and herbs is unknown, but it's speculated she may have lived for some time with one of the Native American tribes in the surrounding area, perhaps the Wekwizgeek. This was a rumor in her day and may have been true. She did reportedly speak Wekwizgeek. She also traded often with natives in the area, communicating with ease. It may have been through integrating with a tribe for a time that Halda gained her knowledge of local plants and where she learned to weave baskets, strong and neatly woven. When someone in the town came down with an ailment, a fever, a cough, or the aches and pains that come with working farmland, they would find a basket at their door, placed there by an anonymous benefactor. There would be herbs and various plants used as remedies for their specific ailment inside. Sometimes the baskets would even contain hard-to-find items. Halda would leave these baskets of her herbs in the doorways and on the windowsills of the townspeople. They knew these gifts were from Halda, and they accepted them, used them, even appreciated them. But she was still excluded from the community. The reverend of the old Dutch church told his congregation to stay away from the wicked Halda of Bohemia. The people of Terrytown just couldn't get past the prejudice Halda's situation aroused. There was a social stigma associated with her, and no one wanted to invite that stigma onto themselves through befriending her in a town where everyone knew everything about everyone else. But all that stopped mattering as much when the war came. The American Revolution played out all over the Hudson Valley. Westchester County, which includes Terrytown and Sleepy Hollow, were considered neutral territory. But that did not save its people from the ravages of war. According to Catherine Egner Gruber, Special Exhibition Curator for the Jamestown Yorktown Foundation, neither the British Army to the south nor the American Army to the north held any considerable claim or control in Westchester. This left the civilian population vulnerable. Raiders from the British, known as cowboys, plundered and burned many farms in the area. American raiders, known as skinners, did the same. Both armies were feared. A man named Timothy Dwight, serving as chaplain for the Connecticut Brigade, stayed in Westchester County in 1777 and wrote of the conditions there, saying the houses of civilians were scenes of devastation and that, quote, the walls, floors, and windows were injured by both violence and decay and were not repaired because they had not the means of repairing them and because they were exposed to the repetition of the same injuries, unquote. Communities were split as loyalties divided. The majority of citizens in Terrytown and Sleepy Hollow supported Congress rather than the English king, but the suspicion and mistrust usually relegated to outsiders now trickled throughout a population whose children had been intermarrying for generations. Some people left, 
tired of the raids and fearing more destruction. According to Bacon in his 1897 work, quote, Every crime in the calendar was committed in the names of king and congress alike, till the harried remnant of the people sat among their denuded fields and pleated barns and faced starvation and sickness with such stoicism as they could muster." Unquote. Some citizens patrolled the roads and glens, doing what they could to deter cattle thieves and raiders. Others fled to wherever they could, and the population waned. For the people of Westchester, it must have felt like the end of the world. While the countryside was ravaged and the people of Westchester County stopped knowing who they could trust as they watched the divided loyalties tear their community apart, they still found baskets with precious remedies on their windowsills and outside their doorsteps. Halda never stopped giving what she had, and in a time when it felt like the world was being torn apart that was incalculably meaningful. Even just a little comfort would have gone a long way. But Halda wanted to do more than weave baskets and deliver herbs. Bacon wrote that, quote, Women sometimes took their places with the flintlock and powder horn, unquote. Halda wanted to protect her town, too. She wasn't just a healer, she was a sharpshooter. She had to hunt for her own food, and her accuracy with a musket was apparently remarkable. She asked to fight, but she was turned away. The local militia didn't want an elderly woman joining the fight. Besides, although Halda had proved herself to be useful and her bundles were secretly appreciated, she was still an outcast. In October of 1777, British troops sailed up the Hudson. When they landed, they began marching through neutral ground towards Terrytown. These troops were well-equipped, they were professional soldiers ready for battle, and they wouldn't hesitate to put a bullet in anything or anyone who got in their way. The militia of Terrytown consisted of farmers. They did not seek out war. It had come to them. As they readied themselves to meet the British soldiers, Halda hurried to her hut. She grabbed her musket and her powder horn. This time, she would not be turned away. She took her position with the others. As the British soldiers marched, leaves crackling underfoot, the wind moving through the glen, their red coats were intimidatingly conspicuous against the colors of the forest. As the soldiers neared the militia, fear began to slither its way throughout the ranks of Terrytown's defenders. No one seemed able to move. Until... Hulda fired breaking the standoff. Courage now collected, the others joined in, firing from behind trees and walls. And suddenly, the British found themselves in the midst of musket smoke and a volley of bullets. One of the Americans stood out, devastating the oncoming army with the skill of a professional sharpshooter. It's impossible to know what the British thought of the elderly woman on the front line, leading the battalion and firing bullet after bullet into their soldiers. It takes some time to load a musket and fire it accurately. Seeing Hulda do this so well must have been quite the shock. Bacon wrote that she was singled out by the British soldiers. She was so efficient, so accurate, so devastating, it seemed as if she alone was the cause of the hellfire raining down upon them. 
the British soldiers retreated, and Terrytown was saved that day. When the smoke cleared, the adrenaline settled, and the ringing of musket fire began to wane from their ears. They found Halda. She was on the ground, her old body lifeless and still on the forest floor. She had been shot after being singled out. She had fought for the people of her town, the people who had for years kept her at a distance, and she had died for them. They weren't sure what to do with her body. They couldn't leave it on the battlefield, so they took her back to her hut. It probably would have been the first time any of them had been inside. Cooking pots, drying herbs, clothing, a bucket for carrying water to the spring, the curious few who brought Halda home looked around. They found no tomes of witchcraft, no mysterious altars, nothing to indicate their accusations of witchcraft had been anything more than a cruel rumor used to ostracize an old woman. They found a Bible next to her bed. Inside of it, there was a will scrawled on some paper. Halda had left everything she had to the widows whose husbands had died in the war. At first, it didn't seem like there was much to give. Then they found her gold. Neither history nor legend says how much exactly, but it was more than enough for the people of Terrytown to believe they had made a grave mistake in how they had judged Halda. Most of them wanted to bury Halda in the graveyard at the old Dutch church. She had given her life for them and left them everything. It seemed like the least they could do. But not everyone agreed Halda should be interred on church grounds. Some, spurred on by the reverend, still thought she had been a witch, an outsider who had no place among their dead, and no evidence or actions proving otherwise was good enough for them. In the end, there was a compromise. Halda was given a Christian burial, and her body was interred along the north wall of the church, but her grave was to remain unmarked. No headstone or marker would be placed there to remember her. No doubt her detractors hoped she would soon be forgotten. As the centuries passed, others were born and died and buried alongside Halda, including Washington Irving, author of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. For 242 years, Halda's remains stayed unmarked in the graveyard. At some point, someone put an orange flag marker over her grave to denote where she was, that she had actually existed, but that was it. It wasn't until the year 2019 that Halda was finally given a grave marker. A group called the Friends of the Old Dutch Church and Burying Ground provided $5,600 for the creation of a headstone. Robert Carpenter, who had done restoration work for the graveyard before, carved a headstone for Halda. Staying true to the history of Halda's time, he carved the memorial in the style of mid-18th century stone carver John Zuricker, whose other works can be found in the surrounding burial grounds. In October of 2019, her marker was dedicated, and there was a service of remembrance held for her. The people of Sleepy Hollow know there can be a blurry line between history and legend. It's impossible now to know the exact details of Halda's life anymore, but she was a real person. She was ostracized, she lived alone, she offered aid to the townsfolk, and she died protecting them. 
Her headstone, 242 years in the making, reads, Halda of Bohemia, died circa 1777, herbalist, healer, patriot, felled by the British while protecting the militia, buried in gratitude for her sacrifice. You can now stand in front of her headstone if you travel to Sleepy Hollow. The graveyard there is a peaceful place, beautiful. Even in 1820, when Irving wrote about it, it was a tranquil space, quiet, and removed from the worries found in town. Even despite the legend that a headless ghost tethered his horse to the gravestones at night. I'll let Washington Irving take it from here. He wrote of the graveyard, saying, quote, A gentle slope descends from it to a silver sheet of water, bordered by high trees between which peeps may be caught at the blue hills of the Hudson. To look upon its grass-grown yard, where the sunbeams seem to sleep so quietly, one would think that there at last the dead might rest in peace. Unquote. In the end, Halda was remembered, after all. Thank you so much for listening to Halda's story. It was an honor to tell it, 242 years later. I'll be back again in three weeks with more history for you. In the meantime, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to help support the show, you can check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. You can also make a one-time donation. You can access the link for that on the website under the support tab. That website is historycashpodcast.podbean.com. Sound effects and background music were licensed through Envato Elements, theme songs from Audio Jungle. Stay safe, stay smart, stay curious. And until we meet again, my dear friends, go make some history. <laughs>